This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead with the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. And today we're so excited to have Jennifer Burden on. Hey, Jennifer, how are you? Great, how are you? Great, so great to have you on here. I know we've been trying to get you on for the last couple of weeks and you are super busy, obviously running for mayor of Austin and all of your other obligations. So I'm so glad we could find time. Really quickly, could you tell our guests who you are and what you're up to in the Austin area right now? Well, I am a native Austinite first and foremost. I'm a, a wife and a mom and um, I'm a UT graduate. I have a, a BBA in finance and I'm a successful businesswoman. I have been, I have owned my own small business, which in this case is of course, um, independent real estate brokerage. And I'm also a design build remodeling general contractor. And that is how we tie into your real estate podcast. But yeah. I'm also, of course, running for mayor. And um, those things, I think, dovetail quite nicely, uh, considering real estate is such a big part of the Austin economy. Oh, huge. And, you know, just how real estate works in Austin, it affects everybody in so many different ways, whether you're a renter or a homeowner or an investor. There's lots of things in Austin that we'll talk about here in this podcast, too, that, that tie into the government and real estate and affect everyone. So starting off, housing is a huge issue here in Austin. What do you propose to make building and creating new housing easier in Austin? And we'll get more into your platform, but I just want to start here. Right now. Well, there there are two factors of that. We of course need to well three property taxes. Number one, that's the the that's the number one top of mind uh, impediment to everything real estate related in Austin, Texas. But we have to simplify the land development code, and we have to speed up the permitting process. We have to make it not such a labyrinth um, that only certain people actually understand. Where you have to hire consultants and engineers and uh, you know, uh, professionals to help you navigate any individual to navigate the permitting process in Austin. Uh, I remember when I started flipping houses back in the early 2000s, I could go into the permitting office same day with a sketch, with my hand-drawn sketch and walk out the same day with my remodeling permit. And I could do that all on my own with no professional architecture degree, no engineering degree. I mean, I had good ideas, but they were just on paper. Well, nowadays, I, I won't even consider going to the permit office. I know right off the bat, if I'm going to do a remodeling project, I, I will hire a either a permitting expediter or I will um, make sure that I hire an architect that's willing to do the permitting process for me. So that's that's just not practical for smaller uh, builders. It's not practical for individuals who want to do a remodeling, just some remodeling project to their personal home or maybe their investment property. Um, that's just common sense. We need to make it where individuals don't have to hire a professional staff. Otherwise, they're going to just go around the permitting process and we're not going to have those inspections and the quality of 
the, the building that we're trying to maintain here in Austin so that everyone always perceives the city of Austin real estate market as having very well built homes, uh, quality construction, you know, just the whole um, underlying confidence in our properties here in Austin. Yeah. And, you know, I think I read an article recently that our permit costs was the highest of any city in Texas, something crazy, like two to three times higher than any other city. Then I know from from friends of mine that build and remodel in Austin that it's incredibly slow. And a lot of the a lot of the apartments I know friends that have been moving into, they're like, hey, we can't move in yet because they haven't closed out all the permits or checked off and everything. I have a client right now. We're two months behind schedule on his new build because they they can't get the inspections done for the permits to be closed out so they can close on the home. And they had to move out of their apartment that was up at the end of this month. They thought they'd have a month or so spot there that they could move. And now they've had to move out and live in a hotel waiting for the permit to be closed out on their house. Yeah, that's not uncommon. Um, I've heard uh so many nightmare stories but one that really sticks out to me that i just can't get off my mind is it's taking two years in some cases to get site plans approved um mm. that's obviously something that no developer is just going to absorb that costs money there's holding costs and he's going to he or she will pass that on to the end user to the where you know the people who are going to end up buying those houses so we have to t keep that in mind. And, and quite frankly, I'm not exactly sure why it takes that long. I sometimes feel like it's because it's a government entity where they sometimes forget that they actually, that we are their customers and that, that, that we are paying their salaries and that they work for us. And sometimes I feel like when I go into an office like that, I sometimes feel like that I'm the one working for them. Yeah. And I, I think there needs to be a little bit of an adjustment. Um, some incentivizing for permitting to be, first of all, a much more pleasant experience, um, less cumbersome, um, no more, you know, staff making uh, further comments after they've already made their first round of comments. Then you, you know, you go back in and then they have, you know, some other staff times in, they have more comments that you have to address. They should get one pass at making comments on your application. And unless you make a significant change, to the scope of work, then they should not be able to delay your project with additional comments. But I, and I also think that, of course, we have so many open positions down at the de development, the DSD, that we need to get those positions filled. We need to get those positions filled. And they're, you know, in a lot of cases, they're going to be young people starting out. They need to start getting some experience under their belt where we're not having to educate them. You know, they, they have they come out with good college education, but the practical use and uh, in, in just all the rules that we have here in Austin, a lot of times builders are, you know, having to go in there and kind of hold their hand a little bit, or um, we have inspectors who are out in the field, and depending on who your inspector is, you're going to get a different answer. You know, you're going to pass inspection or you're not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, which is not uncommon when you're dealing with human beings, but sure. I do think with the city of Austin, there have been so many um, complaints about that, that we really need to focus on uniformity and, and what builders and developers can expect um, on the job site. 
And I think that's just common sense. Absolutely. Yep. So making those those processes more efficient is what it sounds like some of your your goals yeah. are to do when you become mayor here in Austin. Uh, also, we have a code next that people have been talking about forever. I, I can't even tell you how long. I know it's five or six years at least that people have been talking about redoing the building code in Austin. And I want to say it hasn't been revised since the 80s. Am I right there? It's not no major revision since the 80s. Yeah, which is Austin is completely different since the 80s. So, I mean, I think most people would agree that we need the zoning code revised. Do you have any plans on how to speed that process up? Well, I, I do believe there are a lot of a lot of things that we can do right now um, for, you know, there are just I, I'm, I have a, a land development and permitting paper that I'm sure you'll put a link Mm -hmm. um, yeah. at the, uh, on your on your website for the podcast mm -hmm. and it has my detailed um, LDC and permitting paper on there there and it's it's quite lengthy I believe it's about three to five pages long but it's very detailed and I think anybody who's interested in specific questions about my plans for LDC and permitting should take a look at that paper because I believe they will find that their concerns have been addressed whatever they might possibly be but Whatever, whatever we end up doing with the LDC is we, we must preserve the character of Austin. We mm -hmm. must preserve its unique green spaces, its unique neighborhood pockets. There's, we, you know, we have, I, I'm all about small area plans. I, and I don't mean overlays. I don't mean complicated things like for Hyde Park and Ridgetop and all that, you know, all the simple, I mean, all those complicated overlays but small area plans not just like for example in northwest hills northwest hills is too large of uh, a neighborhood or an area to simply say in the entire um, northwest hills we're going to have this small area plan it just doesn't work like that natural divisions of neighborhoods usually are major streets that's how we kind of you know the character from one of those pockets to one just one street over you know, across one major art, arterial, arterial road could be a totally different character over there. And that's why people come, that's why a lot of people come to Austin because no matter what their desire is to live in Austin, where, you know, whether they wanna live in a high rise condo, whether they wanna live in a single family residence with a large lot or live in a single family residence in a smaller lot, for example, in Hyde Park, a, a more dense um, environment. I, there's no There's no right or wrong on how somebody prefers to live. And I don't wanna pit single family homeowners against high rise condo homeowners or people who prefer density. That's not good for anybody. And, it, and it's not even right. It's, it's a personal preference and we need to respect that and, and maintain the character of the neighborhoods that we already have. And, and because the people who live in each little pocket now, they bought there for a reason. That's what they preferred. And so to come in there and like code next, you know, they wanted to rezone the whole city all at once. Well, that just absolutely doesn't work for Austin. Mm. I mean, there would be so many people's desires and wishes um, that would be totally um, ignored. And then those are, in most cases, the largest investment that they have in their life. And then all of a sudden the city of Austin uh, changes the entire character of their neighborhood. So I, everyone needs to be respected. Austin and its character needs to be preserved very carefully. And we need to remember, this is very important to me. Once we build on 
a precious green space, there's no undoing that. And there's no way to, to overvalue how precious having green space in a city this large is. And, and once you, once it's not green, it's never going to be green again. So that that's referring, obviously, I think you can guess Muni. I think we really need to work with the University of Texas and see what we can do to preserve Muni. Uh, it's like Central Park to New yeah. York City. So, you know, we just have, we have a lot of work to do, but we can do it all. We don't have to do just one thing at a time. We just have to have the desire. We have to have, council has to be motivated by their constituents to do things that are important to them rather than what's important to the council member. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, talk, talking about what you might do in the future, I think is is important, but without people having context, um, what would, how would you say you differ from the current administration in regards to real estate planning in Austin? Well, it kind of dovetails with what I just said. I, I've been in the, I've lived in Austin my entire life. That's 55 years. I've watched it evolve from, you know, a sleepy little funky town to, you know, a world-class city. Mm -hmm. And I, so that is one thing I bring to the Austin council as mayor. I am a lifelong Austinite. I actually have stake in the game here. This is not a stepping stone for me. This is not a stepping stone for my political career. This is my political career. This is my last go at um, doing what I can for my neighbors here in Austin. And I think that makes me different and unique because it, I mean, there's a laundry list of politicians that come through Austin because they know that um, it's just a place, it's a stepping stone. And, and the other thing is, I obviously I've been in real estate my entire life since birth, practically. My father was a um, commercial and residential builder. He, he started out as a trim carpenter in, um, in Odessa, Texas. And then he moved my mother here to Austin in the uh, mid sixties. I was born in 67 here. And my dad just um, worked his way up and became a builder here in Austin. And um, so that's all I've ever known. I, I know real estate. I know building. I know permitting. I don't know everything, but I know enough to know that I don't know everything. And I also know to, to keep really good, knowledgeable people around me to make the right decisions for Austin. And everyone knows there is no better pool of talent than what lives here in Austin as far as engineers, architects, builders, um, people from all over the world, you know, with their creativity. So we have a great pool of resources. We just need the will on that dais to actually start working for the people of Austin rather than the council working for themselves, what their future is, or a, a, a very vocal minority of their constituents. I think we all have a lot of things in common. We want to live in a neighborhood that we wanna live in. We want property taxes to stop rising. We need to freeze property taxes and then start reducing property taxes. And I am the only mayoral candidate that is even talking about this. And I can promise you my main opponents and all of my opponents, they won't even broach the subject. They don't think it's possible. It is very possible. I have a, a tax paper that you're gonna also put a link to um, mm -hmm. on your website. And I encourage everyone to read it. It's very meaningful. It has substance, it can be done. And uh, anyway, I 
my heart is in Austin. This, I mean, I am so excited for this opportunity to, first of all, just all these great ideas. I have a great staff. We have great policy advisors. We are realistic. We know it can be done in this town and I'm ready to get to work. And, and I'm certainly not a professional slick politician. I'm not a silver tongue devil. Like, you know, one of my opponents is I, when I talk, I'm saying real things, actual solutions, not fluffy little blurbs that make people feel good that we've, we've been hearing for decades now. So I'm just a, I'm a genuine Austinite. And, um, that's, I just have Austin's best interests at heart. Love it. Yeah. You know, I think you mentioned property taxes, property taxes affect everybody, whether you're a renter, homeowner, investor, uh, you know, whether you bought in Austin, it, it's going to affect everybody here, you know? So I know there's lots of people right now that are selling because property taxes are going up. And I think that, you know, it, it's a shame to see that people need to sell their homes because they can't afford to live them anymore because it's something as simple as property taxes. And, you know, it, you talked about stopping the, the rise of property taxes and then you know trying to reduce them later on. We've already gone up so much in the last couple of years. It's wild to think that we're here where we are compared to even 2019, 2020. You know, the taxes felt really high in 2020, 2019. Now they're incredibly high. And yeah, home prices have gone up a lot, but have the expenses of every every municipality really i i can't see that they have and i don't know that that other people can either so that leads me to my next question um what are your ideas to work on the the homelessness in austin we've got a, a huge homeless problem here in austin um and I, I hate to call it a problem because I, I know it absolutely affects a lot of different people again you know there's the people that are out there on the streets and then there's the people living in the neighborhoods with so many people living on the streets, so everybody's affected. It's not one party or the other. But how can we, how can we help these people on the streets, and how can we help clean up this this issue in Austin too? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. So there's a lot to unpack with the homelessness problem. Of course, it, it is a problem. It's it's a blight on the city, but they are human beings. Mm -hmm. And they and we, first of all, need to go ahead and be realistic about who these people are that are living on the streets. First and foremost, most of our um, homeless population, which would be uh, the ones that we think of or the way that the city likes to spin it are single moms with children, et cetera. Those are not the ones we see living on the streets. Those particular people, we have brick and mortar um, shelters for that population mm -hmm. so that they're pretty well taken care of. But we have a certain subset of um, homeless people that actually that's their chosen preferred way of life. Mm -hmm. When then we of course have the mental and um, the mental health uh, and addicted population. And, yeah. and most of the time, those two things go together. And we can't just pretend like giving those people a roof over their head is going to solve their problems. It's, it can't just be homes only. It has to be homes. And they have to be required to seek services to, you know, as get that we have to get them clean. 
we have to get them able to start figuring out how it is that they're going to take a hand up and improve their life and their quality of life and get it, you know, get, we need to get personal IDs for these people. I've heard from homeless people that it's really hard to even get a personal ID because they don't have a social security card. They don't have a driver's license. So we need to start there. We need to make sure that we have accountability from our, all of the partners who have contracts with the city of Austin that are providing services for our homeless population. We need to stop throwing money at those people, at those organizations. We need accountability. We need a plan. We need to find out how, you know, how our money was spent and, and what kind of results we're getting for that. Um, we need, uh, we do have at least one sanctioned campsite, which I am not a big fan of sanctioned campsites, but we have the one down by, um, ABIA, which I think is good. And they have some, some soft-sided and some hard-sided structures that they, that the campers can lock there and they're doing a really good job there. I am not a fan of having sanctioned campsites really in any more places. I think those would be for a certain subset of the homeless population for certain reasons. Maybe they have some a mental health issue where maybe they can't live close to other people. They, you know, it's too stimulating or, or they've been traumatized, et cetera. Or I think that's a very special situation. Um, we do need to end buying uh, hotels so we could put homeless people in their little studio condos. We That's not working out. We've seen the article that came out uh, yesterday or the day before that now the city of Austin can't figure out, now that they paid $9 million plus or whatever for a hotel, they can't figure out how are they ever going to get it rehabbed and finished out to even get people moved into it. Um, Candlewood Suites is a complete disaster. Um, you know, it's been completely vandalized. The city let it sit there unsecured. And then it, now it's even in worse shape than it was. It's going to cost a whole lot more money to rehab and then finally get people moved in there, get the services in there. So there's a lot to do regarding the homeless. Um, of course, I've just touched on a few things here, but I wanted to say another thing. We have um, proven models, community first, and we have um, Haven for Hope out in San Antonio. And those are proven models. We don't need to recreate the will and reinvent the wheel. Um, the one thing I like about Haven for Hope is that they have a barrier to entry, and I believe it's nine months. Um, they have to prove that they've actually been a resident in San Antonio or Bayer County for nine months before they can actually go there to seek services. That way, we're not going to become just a magnet for um, people from all over the country to come to Austin because, you know, we're offering the best services. And, and we are we are a natural magnet because we have historically enabled this lifestyle and we are not enforcing our camping ban and under my leadership as mayor we will enforce that camping ban we will fully enforce it no exceptions because that is the only that's it's not good for anyone to it's not good for anybody to live on the street and it's also not good for taxpayers quality of life we expect clean and safe streets to live in this world-class city and then it that's fine because it's not good for anybody to be living um, on the streets like that. So anyway, um, there's just a lot to unpack with the homelessness, but there are so many good solutions out there. Alan Graham has proven that he doesn't even need city funds to do that. And it, quite frankly, probably doesn't want them to be encumbered by city funds. And then they'll just come in and mess it up because that's all that the city has done is spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this homeless 
problem and it's only gotten worse. So finally, we have got to fully fund and fully staff our police department so they are able to have the manpower to fully enforce our camping ban. Because quite frankly, it's unfortunate, but you know, they're the people that really have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is confusing. You know, we all voted on this a camping ban being put back into place. And and for everybody listening, you know, Jennifer could tell you just the same. You weren't allowed to camp in Austin until a few years ago. And over the last few years, it got as bad as it is today. And yeah, we do have a a large magnitude of of unhoused or homeless people here in Austin, which is kind of confusing because you go to somewhere like Dallas or Houston and there's not even a fraction of the people we have here in Austin. Um, but I think that, you know, there's, there's organizations out there. So Joe Lonsdale with the American Optimist podcast, he talks about they, they are surveying some of these homeless people and they're talking to them and seeing how they can help and, and what's going on with them. And, you know, they're finding that these people are trying to, to get help getting jobs and they're not even getting that help. These people are saying, no, you need a house. And they're like, I want a job. Um, so that's really unfortunate to hear that people want want to get back to work and that there is no avenue for them to get there. So absolutely, I think there are solutions out there. We've seen them work. It's time just to let, let it happen rather than try to control and put people in hotels and things like that, which aren't good living situations. It doesn't make any sense at all. If somebody's sitting there telling you that they want to work and they want to become self-sustaining and um, you know, they don't need a, a, a 700 square foot studio, you know, there, there should be two or three, you know, there could be 199 square foot, um, RVs, just like there are at community first, they have the mm -hmm. tiny homes They're and they're wonderfully outfitted. There's nothing, um, that says that it's human beings have to live in a three bedroom, two bath, single family residence to be treated like a human being. I, quite frankly, I think about the, um, the quads that are off off, um, there's student housing most, mostly, they're apartments, but they have four bedrooms and four bathrooms, mm -hmm. but then you share a common kitchen and living space. Yep. I mean, for single people, that's a one way to create community for them because that is one of their biggest needs, Alan Graham will tell you, is that they need a sense of community, that mm -hmm. you know, they need a, a sense of family for some that don't have it. So the, I think that's a great idea. Not every um, person needs to live alone, have their own kitchen, have their own living area. They can live um, quite well, just like uh, college students live. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that any of them are living in an inhumane manner. Um, and and actually, it's nice to have a small group of people to live with. And they don't. Then they wouldn't have a yard to maintain. That kind of thing. Um, but we know that it doesn't work to just give people a house and. We, and if they're asking for ways to get a job, let's help them go to Austin Community College. You know, and if they can't go there, they can take online classes to get certificates. Um, it's, it's so quick to get a certificate of so many kinds where people can start working immediately, assuming, of course, that they have a place to bathe, they have access to clothes that they can wear to a job, um, you know, the basics. Uh, and wherever we put any kind of a homeless service or homeless housing, the resources are going to follow. And like people say, well, we need to keep the arts where it is. No, we don't. The arts needs to move out of downtown. It does not need to be in our business district, our tourist district. We've got people that are trying to recover from addictions and they are living down there in an alcohol 
fueled um, tourist and nightlife environment, which isn't good for them. And it's not good for our UT students that like to frequent um, Sixth Street as well on the weekends, right? They don't, it's not safe. Um, the arts can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 we can put a loop of uh, capital metro buses, just a constant loop to get them to, um, you know, wherever the hub might be that they need to go. And then all those service providers, the ones that have contracts with the city, I promise you, they're going to follow. They will make sure that they get out, they get to wherever we are going to decide to move the arch. But we really need to move that out of downtown. Sounds like it probably needs to be a little bigger too. And I know they just recently decided against renewing the contract with the company who's running it too. So it really just sounds like it's not working as well as it should have, which is odd because a few years ago, even, you know, well, well, you know, like you mentioned, there was probably too many people and they were all hanging out outside. It seems like more people were using it back in 2016, 17, then, you know, they started the camping and it doesn't seem like people really use it so much anymore. Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Well, it's kind of the same uh, phenomenon is that a lot of the people that actually hang out in front of the arch, they don't want to live in shelters because they are, they, they have mental health issues. They have addiction issues. They, they don't, and they'll tell you, they don't want to live in close proximity to a bunch of people that have addiction and mental health issues. I mean, it's, it's not a comfortable environment and they don't want to, a lot of, in a lot of cases, they don't want to live by a curfew. They don't want to live by no alcohol, no drug use rules. Um, you, you know, you got to get a job. You got to be out during the day, come back at night, that kind of thing. So the art, the, the arch right now, I, I agree. It's not um, large enough to take care of the homeless population that we have now because we've become a magnet for this lifestyle from all over the United States. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. I mean, all these people that are here homeless now weren't all living in, um, they, they, they call it living in the trees, living in the forest, living in the, they weren't all hidden. We, yeah. we, we were a magnet. And as soon as we lifted that camping ban in 2019, you know, we saw it explode. Those weren't people that were already here. Some of them were, but, you know, we need to be realistic. We have, we have created a, a magnet for homeless and we need to, un, we need to not be that anymore. We're a world-class city. We can't let this problem continue to grow because once it gets so big, there's no way to undo it. And I think they, I read and heard that like LA says, once you get to a hundred thousand, hopefully we're nowhere near that. I think we're around, we, we've got a maybe 10,000 homeless people, we think. But once you get to somewhere like a hundred thousand, there's no way you can ever take care of it. I mean, and I, I can't imagine right now with the what we have in the hundreds of millions of dollars people are throwing, we, you know, council wants to throw at it even more millions and millions of dollars we can solve this problem Mm -hmm. we just have to enforce our current laws and we have to 
let people know that if you can't live by the laws of this town, then you can't stay here. You, you need to go somewhere else to a city that actually enables that lifestyle because it's not good for anyone. So, you know, we're not going to allow it here. That's not what the citizen, citizens of Austin expect, safety and cleanliness. So this is a, a little off to the side. Um, I know we, we all voted, well, the majority of the city voted for a camping ban. I want to say that was last year. Is it just not being enforced? What's going on there? Well, when the, when the camping ban got reinstated, we did see camps being cleaned up. For a while, yeah. But because that, you know, we have also had our, the defunding of the police, mm -hmm. and we have such, we are three or 400, three to 500 officers short now of where we should be. But, you know, depending on whether or not you listen to, uh, you hear what APD says versus the Greater Austin Crime Commission, we are hundreds of officers short. Well, it doesn't take a very well-wired um, homeless population. They've got cell phones, computers, solar chargers. They, and they have, a, they have Facebook groups. Once the word gets out, hey, Austin did reinstate the camping ban, but they don't have the police force to enforce it. So y'all come on. It's like whack-a-mole too. As soon as we get one cleaned up, they just pop up over here. They, they know that they just, we're, there's, there's, we can't really arrest them. They don't have any money to pay fines. So there's really no recourse for us. Besides, we've got to just make it very uncomfortable for, for them. We've got to, when we really get serious about enforcing the camping ban, it's going to require, they get notice that their camp is going to get actually removed. Not, we're, we're not going to give them time to pack up their, um, their cart with all the items that they want to keep, they pull them off to the sidewalk while we spend like 30 or $40,000 for a crew of about 10 or 15 people to come clean up a campsite. And then as soon as that truck is gone, that the, whoever the homeless people were that were living, they just move right back into that same spot in front of everybody. Everybody's watching. They know exactly what happens. And now they've just had um, complimentary house cleaning and they just move right back into their clean campsite. So they're going to have to, it's going to have to be tough love. They're going to get picked up. Their camps are going to be eradicated and cleaned up and, and it's going to be uncomfortable and they're going to get tired of being inconvenienced that way. And they will, unless they want to take um, public housing in a proper way, then they will move on to cities that enable that lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I have seen it happen. I, I live pretty close to South First and William Cannon. There was a large one there and they removed it one day. This was only a few months ago. They removed it and now they're piling stuff back up there. Um, I, I think that, you know, that's just, that's again, it's not good for anybody. It's not healthy for the people that are out there living on the street. If you have a drug addiction or mental illness and you're not getting the treatment you need, that's awful. And we're enabling that. I think it's the best way to call it. We're enabling that by by letting this to continue, and we're by enabling that to continue. You're you're essentially killing these people. Um, I can't think of a lighter way to put it because it's just honestly the truth. Um, if if you're letting somebody continue to to ha cause harm to themselves, it's not healthy to live on the streets, um, and it's just sad to see because you see a lot of people that that look like they could probably, it will take work and, and energy and and help to get cleaned up and get back to work and get back to living a, a, help, a helpful and, and good life. But 
it's not about you know how can we make our neighborhood so much better as much as it also is about how can we help these people because by letting this happen in my opinion we're really just hurting these people so much and that's so sad to see there's just so many people out there that need help and by allowing it to continue to happen it's rough um let me add to that i'm sorry so if you don't mind that's it's the same concept as um having children or elderly parents that um you you have to have them declare you know you have to take guardianship over them mm -hmm. when when people aren't competent to take care of themselves we wouldn't let that happen to our grandparents our parents or our children yeah so the same concept applies to um people who are having mental health issues or addiction issues living on the street uh, that's what americans do we the fact that we're allowing that to happen i, I don't know if, if um who thinks that that is there's nothing wrong with tough love when it's called for mm -hmm. i mean that's just the right thing to do and it's uncomfortable you feel like it's maybe a violation of their rights but we would never allow our own children or our parents to live like that so yeah, yeah no you really it's you know I, yeah it is uncomfortable but if you really care you would do something more and i think that's it's simple that you know you see your friends or your family doing something and it's uncomfortable to talk to them and say hey you know i i see you uh suffering here uh, let's let's help you do something about it but we have to do that same thing to help people that maybe we don't know so well and yeah it's easy just to turn a blind eye but uh, i think it's really sad that we're just allowing so much of this to happen and at the same time it's not good for real estate in austin when we're tying it back into our, yeah. our subject matter here um jennifer what's one thing people would get wrong about you so obviously you've been in real estate your whole life you're very passionate about the city of austin um but what's one thing you know people might say off the bat that hey you know jennifer's this and that they're wrong about i think the most common misperception or how they like to spin it my opponents or other people is that um i am a real estate broker and i am a design build remodeling general contractor i am not a developer mm -hmm. and so they like to throw the word developer out there to scare people as if um, i am i want to be mayor so i can control some big project that i want to develop and become a gazillionaire on that is absolutely not the truth they you can't lump uh, developers in with with, I mean, I'm a, I'm a remodeling general contractor. That's what I do. And my specialty actually is to not even increase the footprint. My specialty is that I like to take the existing space and reconfigure it to make it work for my clients. I, I have never been a proponent for to even adding on to a house. I think every house is completely um, perfect the way it is under that roof with that footprint. There's nothing you hardly can't fix under an existing footprint. So I'm not a developer. I am a, a lover of houses, beautiful houses. This, I'm actually a tiny house person. I love small houses. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is they they say, oh, she's in real estate. You can't trust her. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I'm just in real estate and that's my business and that's my passion, but I, I, don't believe that's anything to be vilified for. Yeah, I think if anything, you know, we we absolutely need somebody that understands 
how to make things simple and efficient so we can build more real estate because we need more housing. I saw another article in the Austin Business Journal here. It's been the last couple of mornings where we're the number one demand for, for rental housing in the United States right now. And what happens when there's a, a large demand and not enough supply, prices continue to go up. I, I talked to a client and luckily we found him a great home to move into but his rent was going to go from 2100 to 2800 for a one bedroom which is insane that it's so crazy that mm -hmm. rents have gotten that high because they were nowhere close to that even a few years ago and they've just been going through the roof in Austin mm -hmm. because there's real demand and when there's real demand we need real supply well we are building they're building a lot of single family homes that's for sure they're building at a, a breakneck rate Jordan Moorhead here Really quick, I wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. You know, and I know that um, the market is starting to balance out a little bit where, you know, it's becoming less of a seller's market. Um, our supply is growing a little bit that's great mm -hmm. but we cannot discount the fact that we need to we need to relax zoning as much as we can where appropriate and where the neighborhoods desire mm -hmm. um accessory dwelling units um townhomes duplexes that kind of thing and then sometimes you know regarding the accessory dwelling units right now they the existing home on a lot on a single family lot isn't is not the allowed to be the accessory dwelling unit so mm -hmm sometimes the houses are the existing homes are small they could use that as the existing as the accessory dwelling unit and build the the new the primary residence you know either in the front or the back of that existing mm -hmm. they could also have smaller uh lot requirements right now we have a 5750 square foot minimum lot requirement we we could take that down to 5,000, which would really help a lot because a lot of um single family residences in austin have like a 10,000 square foot minimum lot size so if the minimum lot size got changed to if the minimum lot size, okay, let's say when it was subdivided, they were 10,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. If Austin, city of Austin has a minimum lot size to sub, subdivide of 5750, we can't get two lots out of that lot. But if we made it 5,000, that would help that would open us up a lot to um, being able to have two houses on two properties, two separate properties on that 10,000 square foot lot, just an example. But like even in uh, neighborhoods that have smaller lots, in some cases going to a 4,000 square foot minimum lot size would make sense. Um, we just need to relax the restrictions a little bit about um, accessory dwelling units, duplexes and townhomes. I think that would add to the supply a lot and there would be hopefully some smaller homes that would be a little bit more affordable. Mm -hmm. And then again, we have got to freeze the property taxes and the city portion of our property taxes and uh, we've got a benchmark disabled and senior um, exemptions to increases in valuations so if our property taxes go up 20 percent then those exemptions need to go up 20 percent that will help our most vulnerable um, homeowners disabled and and seniors who are most likely to be on a fixed income that will help them be able to stay in their homes and if we increase the use of accessory dwelling units there's a lot of cases where people will choose to actually um, reside in their adu and rent out the main home and to, to pr pr provide a rental income for them to help be able to stay 
in their homes and pay their property taxes. So there, there are a lot of things that can work together, um, but we have to have a mayor like me and a council who want that to happen, who, who um, make it a priority. Yeah, no, I think it's so cool. So we're helping a, um, a lady in, in Austin sell her backyard so she can stay in her home. So she's going to sell her backyard to a builder who's going to build an ADU or an extra structure on her backyard and allow her to stay in the home that her family built in 1949. It's it's wild. And that's so cool to be able to allow that for people. And if more people could do that, you know, like you said, they could stay in their homes. Yes, they could I love pay that. The property taxes and they could still be a part of the community they've been in for so long. Um, awesome. Well, so, I wanted to say one other thing, because I think a lot of people don't know um, there are certain neighborhoods that allow accessory buildings, mm-hmm. but the city of Austin has rules on those. And I'm not, I, I'm not as clear on them as I should be, but the current rules are that you can't even lease them out. They're only allowed to be lived in by family members or service people. Um, but not actually an unrelated tenant. That's, that's, um, not helpful for anyone, <laughs> for anyone. Yeah. I mean, people, if you're going to spend that kind of money building, um, an accessory dwelling unit or a separate structure. There's a lot of money involved in that. And, and there's no reason why, if you're going to be allowed to build it, you should be, be allowed to rent it mm-hmm. unless your deed restrictions, you know, prohibit that. So yeah. I want to say that also in no way, shape or form would I ever um, do anything that would put into jeopardy our protest rights and our, and our property rights, that kind of thing. I mean, that's first and foremost. In subdivisions, you know, when we start really working on this LDC, the subdivisions, if, uh, uh, you know, from the deed restrictions, usually it's a percentage of the homeowners in the subdivision can change their deed restrictions if they have, say, 50 to 70% of the current residents sign on to that. So these subdivisions and the people who live in them still have local control over what they want to allow in their subdivision. They can make it um, easier to build an accessory dwelling unit because there are a lot of uh, subdivisions that have restrictions against any structure like that. Mm -hmm. It's just something that's gonna have to be revisited by the different subdivisions determining what they want to get out of their neighborhoods. Yeah, I think so many people think that if we allow more accessory dwelling units, just every house is gonna have an ADU pop up behind it. And that just absolutely is not the case. They're just not that cheap to build. You know, and like we're talking about, there's so many issues right now with permitting, getting things done cheaply and effectively on that side, just the construction cost on some of these things. They're not that cheap. And if they make sense for somebody to build, they they should be allowed to build them. And that can help keep the, the housing cost under control. I'm definitely one that doesn't believe that, hey, if we allow all these ADUs, that rents are going to go down. That's not going to happen. They cost too much to build, but maybe we could stabilize the rents. Also, well, and also, you're right about... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Kind of breaking up. Anyway, the, you're right about the ADUs. I'm sure they're not going to be, be cheap to rent because they're expensive to build. And also, there'll be new construction, so they'll be preferred as opposed to dated apartments or, um, you know, just dated condos in general. So there will be that, but it does add to the supply and maybe they will be a little bit less expensive 
as opposed to something that's larger. So people, they'll probably have to pay more in rent per square foot, but less overall uh, monthly rent. So it could balance out. I think any, any of it's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any extra supply is helpful. So Jennifer, I've got an important question for you. Why run for mayor instead of just focusing on your business? Because it sounds like you really like what you do. I do love what I do, but I also really, really love Austin. It's my hometown. It's the only place I've ever lived. I love it so much. And I, I, I don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore and complain about what's happening. And I also know that if I had to go to the voting booth today and I wasn't on the ballot, I would literally have no one I could vote for. I mean, I am the only mayoral candidate who is proposing solutions to the problems that Austinites actually care about, which is property tax reduction, property tax freezing and reduction, actual reduction in the, um, the amount of dollars that you'll pay on your property tax bill. It's not just something I'm saying, we have a plan, it works. And then um, I, just the public safety, homelessness, um, just every, I just, I am the only person I would vote for. If you, my opponents are gonna be just Adler 2.0 or worse. And I almost wanna say that one of my opponents is actually Adler is Watson 2.0. So I am, um, they're they're not offering anything new. They're not they're not even pretending to. They're benchmarking to to all of my proposals. I'm the first one to put out all of my position papers, and then every time I read that they finally put one out, half of my ideas are in their paper. So mm -hmm. I know they're paying attention, and I know they're worried about me, and so they're they're trying to ignore me, but they can't. We we have a definite path to victory. I mean, the voter data is there. We know who's going to show up in November to vote. We know we can do it. We just have to motivate people to donate to the campaign and to vote. I mean, Austinites are world famous for not showing up to vote. Yeah, so everybody absolutely get out and vote this year, too. We definitely need, like you said, you're saying, hey, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and complain. I'm going to do something about it. but. At the very least, just go vote. You know, it, it it helps get an accurate reading of what everybody wants when everybody actually votes. And I think that's so important just to get out there and vote. Um, Jennifer, how can people best learn more about you? And we'll put all this in the show notes for everybody too. I have an outstanding website where um, all of my position papers should be posted by the end of the week, but the website is jenniferforaustin.com. And uh, it is actually a website that has substance to it. You can pretty much learn everything you want to learn about where I stand on all of the things that matter in Austin. And when my position papers are posted, please go read them. They are full of great detail. For those of you who really want to get into the nuts and bolts of it, I think you'll really appreciate it. Otherwise, the high points are um, under the issues tab. And please, please, please get involved with the campaign. Uh, you know, offer to host a meet and greet, uh, block walk, phone bank. Um, please donate to the campaign. It's easy to donate at jenniferverdon.com. That's the Anadot link. It takes you right there. We are competing against two very well-funded um career politicians who um, are not going to be able 
or they don't even desire to fix Austin's problems. They prefer the status quo and the people who are supporting them prefer the status quo. So it's going to take all hands on deck. And that means each and every person that watches this podcast, please go to jenniferverdon.com and donate. So I have money to reach everybody in Austin. We have to reach a million people. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a lot of work. It, it takes money to get these things done. I think that's, you know, it's not that we're raising all the, or you're raising all this money just to go spend it. You're going to spend it on actual ads and, and getting out there to reach everybody. Um, well, you know, we have to touch the voters at least seven to 10 times each time. And that costs money. Mm -hmm. um, I love, love to do it, but uh, we have to have money to do it. And, and your campaign gives, gives out free yard signs too. So anybody that's got a yard that's interested in your causes, just go to her, her campaign website and get a free yard sign and it'll ship it right to your door. Yes, my, my sign gremlin will have you a sign in about 48 hours, complimentary. Yeah, they'll put it in your yard too. You don't have to do anything. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, last and most important question we ask here on the podcast, Jennifer, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Well, I don't actually have a favorite restaurant, but um, I have a couple that I frequent all the time. If I know that I definitely am, will not be disappointed, Bartlett's is always a great call. Everybody can find something that, that they love at Bartlett's. Mm. I love Little Deli over in Crestview. I, I go there probably three or four times a week mm. for salads and Rubens, and I love fresh sushi. I love filet mignon. And... I love Madam Mam's P47 with chicken. Awesome. And we'll make sure to have all that in the show notes for everybody too. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on here today. And anybody interested in any of Jennifer's issues, her stances on anything she's got going, make sure to go visit her website. And while you're there, get a yard sign and donate because absolutely we all need to get out and vote this election cycle and every election cycle. So you're not just sitting there complaining about what's going on. You could say, hey, I at least did my part. Awesome. That's Thank great. you so much for coming on here today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. I'm glad we could finally find some time to get you on. And I'm sure we'll Me hear too. from you soon. Yes, I hope so. All right. Thanks, Bye. Jennifer. Thank you. Bye.